This is Curious Minnesota, a Star Tribune project that sends staff from the state's largest newsroom hunting for the answers to great questions we receive from you, our readers. We're here to answer everything you want to know about the state's people, places, and culture. Welcome to Curious Minnesota. I'm your host, Eric Roper. Today, we are wading into a nostalgic topic for many Minnesotans, the weather ball. This glowing sign atop the Northwestern National Bank building in downtown Minneapolis was one of the tallest and most prominent landmarks in the region between 1949 and 1983. It was so prominent, in fact, that reader Kelly Fallis could see it from her home in Brooklyn Park. Fallis wanted to know what happened to this famous Twin Cities artifact, so Curious Minnesota asked reporter John Reinen to track down the answer. We'll talk to John in a moment. But first, here's Kelly. When I was growing up, the only building that was of any significance in downtown Minneapolis was the Fauché Tower. And when the weather ball came, it was on the bank building nearby. And I lived in Brooklyn Park by Crystal Airport. And we had a clear view to downtown. And the weather ball would be visible. And at night... You could see the different colors, which would kind of signify what the weather report would be. It was so dominant in my upbringing. So that is what I wanted to know about. Well, John, thanks so much for joining us today. I'm not from Minnesota, and this weather ball has not existed since 83, so this all predates me. But for a certain generation of Minnesotans, this is a very important landmark, right? Yeah, it's a big deal, especially, you know, to the baby boomers and to people from a previous generation. Well, I mean, it was up till 19... really 82 when it was damaged and 83 when it was taken down. Um, it was up for about 33 years. And so, you know, a couple generations of Minnesotans grew up with this thing. And that was at a time when the Minneapolis skyline was a lot smaller than it is today. So back in the day, it was very prominent mm-hmm. and uh, very visible and uh, people didn't have phones and the weather ball was, you know, a way you could look at it and see right. what the weather was going to be like. And I would encourage people to look at the photos. The story that we'll link to in the show notes has a bunch of photos in it. There's a big in neon NW. So before we get to the weather ball itself, let's talk about NW, which stands for Northwestern National Bank. So what is Northwestern National Bank? This was a large bank that was founded here in Minneapolis. Yeah. And you have to remember that back, uh, you know, in the early part of the 20th century and up to the middle of the 20th century, Minnesota often identified itself as being in the Northwest. When we think of the Northwest now, we tend to think of the Pacific Northwest. But, you know, we had Northwest Orient Airlines here, Mm -hmm. and you could see old ads. So Northwestern National Bank was very prominent here in Minneapolis, headquartered here, founded in the 1870s. It grew, and by 1930, they were ready to build a grand new building downtown for their headquarters. They built an 18-story building, which also claimed to have the longest banking room in the Northwest. Okay. And then in 1949, they decided to one-up themselves by adding a 167-foot tower on the roof with a glowing ball, a glowing orb Mm -hmm. that would change color depending on the weather. 
Okay, and just before we get to the ball, the tower is like neon. I mean, there's lots of neon on this thing. There's lots of neon. There was 1.25 miles of neon tubes on this thing. That was an age when neon signs were very prominent in the United States. Uh, if you've seen old photos of street scenes in, in downtown cities, you know, almost every business, it seemed, had a neon sign. Mm-hmm. Um, they were building giant neon signs in Las Vegas, places like that. So Northwestern National Bank retained the services of one of the nation's premier neon sign designers, a guy named Douglas Lee, L-E-I-G-H, and he designed the whole thing, the whole apparatus, and they constructed it, and it first lit up in 1949. Okay. And so obviously the star of the show is this ball, this orb that was at the top of it, but there was a code. You had to understand the code of the of the orb. And so what, what were the general sort of rules to follow with this thing? Because it would be different colors. Yes. And we have to remember that back in those days, the Fauché Tower was the tallest thing on the Minneapolis skyline, and then the Weather Ball was the second tallest, and there weren't a lot of other tall buildings. So you could see this thing forever. Right. And if I'm remembering correctly, when the weather ball is glowing red, warmer weather is ahead. When the weather ball is glowing white, colder weather is in sight. Mm-hmm. When the weather ball is glowing green, no change in weather is foreseen. If the weather ball blinks by night or day, precipitation is on the way. Okay. That's like your Minnesota test. Uh, <laughs> if, you, <laughs> if, you, if you're of the generation that was around, this is like a test to make sure you're, uh, you were here for the Minnesota experience. Many silver-haired people in this state can still sing that jingle. <laughs> and there's photos on the story of like the building lit up in the shape of a Christmas tree with this weather ball on top of it, which, if anything, just kind of shows you that it was sort of this playful landmark of downtown. Yes, and every day a bank employee was charged with the duty of calling the National Weather Service, or back then it was called the U.S. Weather Bureau, Mm -hmm. and they would call and get the next day's forecast, and then the weather ball color would be set to have a certain light go on inside of it, and it would glow from 4.15 in the afternoon till 1 a.m. And as our colleague James Lilex once said when he wrote about it, they Mm -hmm. just figured that everybody should be in bed by 1 o'clock anyway. So that's when they (laughs) turn it off. Okay. And I mean, just to sort of illustrate how big of a brand this was for Northwest, they were putting these on their branches elsewhere. This was like the original weather ball, but then there were smaller weather balls. Yeah, I don't know if very many of them were actual weather balls, but what they would at least do is they would have a sign that would have a circular light in it. Okay. And then that would light up, you know, the same way as the weather ball would. They also used it on all kinds of marketing material. They gave out little coin banks that mm-hmm. were in the shape of the weather ball tower with the weather ball on top. Yeah. And they had a character called Mr. Weatherball, kind of like Ready Kilowatt, if yeah. you remember that. They had a character called Mr. Weatherball who appeared in some of their advertising and things like that. Mr. Weatherball. Okay. So we started in 1949. Weatherball goes up. Everybody is enjoying the weatherball for several decades. And then. Thanksgiving, 1982, fateful day. What happened on Thanksgiving, 1982? It was a fateful day. Not only turkeys got cooked, but the remains of the Donaldson department store downtown, which had been torn down, but it was a big pile of rubble. And some kids, apparently teenagers, were playing around and they somehow started a fire. Mm -hmm. And it consumed the rest of the rubble of that block and also damaged the Northwestern National Bank building. Now, it did not damaged the weather ball, but it did render it inoperable. I don't know if electrical cords were burnt up or what happened, but the weather ball was not burnt up in the fire, but it stopped working. Okay. And very quickly, surprisingly quickly, because this was really a grand, quite brilliant marketing tool that they came up with, and they used it for 33 years, and then they gave it up just like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, like within weeks, 
they had a press conference and they said, we're giving the weather ball to the Minnesota State Fair and it's going to be rebuilt there so that everybody can continue to enjoy it. But it's like if you just one day said, we're not going to have the Pillsbury Doughboy anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was the symbol of their bank and they just gave up on or it. Or the Target Bullseye logo or exactly. something like that. Okay. Exactly. We heard from a reader who was actually involved in deconstructing the weather ball, Warren Gunther, an iron worker. Warren sort of described a bit about the meticulous process, because according to the article about this, it, it cost $100,000 to take the weather ball down and, and sort of get it delivered to the state fair. So Warren sort of reflected a bit on what all went on to get this thing off of the roof of the building. I was employed by the L.H. Souls Company. The weather ball itself wasn't too bad. It was secure in place. And uh, what we did is got it ready to go. So when the helicopter, they couldn't get a. In those days, they didn't have a crane that could come in and stick a boom up 300 feet in the air. They just didn't have them. Anyway, it makes it sound like that helicopter came in and, and picked the whole damn thing up and it was done. Here's how the tower got down. The ball got picked off. They're okay. That's gone. We put a crane on top of the roof, right up there where you can see the base of the tower up there. And the cables came from the winch, which was the other part of the crane that was on the street. We put a man lift up to get up to the roof, you know, an elevator on the outside of the building. We put one of them up in two days. And that's the way that tower came down. It came down in pieces. It wasn't destroyed it could have easily been put back together the goal was to restore it and it didn't get restored so i mean how do you feel about it horrible somebody probably hauled it in for scrap iron nobody took the initiative but it was not ruined at all all the that tower could have been put right back together all you need is an iron worker to do it you know this was all labeled and uh it was going to go back up at the state fair we figured and uh, don't use a torch on anything. Didn't have to. We took it apart. And then just a little uh, side note that he mentioned that I, I looked up online and is true is that one of Charles Lindbergh's first planes was in the building, like, you know, suspended from the ceiling or something. I think it wasn't damaged, but it was like close to being damaged or what have you. So yeah, it was a, not the Spirit of St. Louis, but it was a plane. The Jenny. The Jenny, which was a World War One surplus military plane, which was very popular among barnstormers and other people who were flying in the right. 1920s. Okay. So 83... They take this thing down. It gets delivered to the state fair. And, you know, we found in our own archives, I mean, because of the way the press conference kind of made it sound like this thing will be reborn, it's going to have next chapter at the state fair. People kind of kept asking about it over the years. Barbara Flanagan wrote about it. And I mean, you know, James Lilacs, as you mentioned, wrote about it. What happened? Obviously, we're doing this story because it was not put up at the state fair. According to Jerry Hammer, who who was at the State Fair at the time that this was delivered there, although he was not in charge, but he was a young guy who was working at the fair, they had an empty building and they put all the pieces of the Weatherball Tower in there. And they were trying to raise corporate money to rebuild it, to put it back up again. Mm-hmm. And I guess it's just as simple as nobody was willing to step up and sponsor it and give them money to put it together. And the fair didn't want to spend its own money doing it, mm-hmm. which raises the question, well, then why did they take it in the first place? Right. But that's a different item. But it, it seems to kind of come down to money. They they tried to raise money. They didn't raise any. The thing sat there. It sat there. It sat there for 17 years. Mm-hmm. Finally, in 2000... They wanted to tear down the building that it was in, Mm -hmm. and it was at that point they were like, well, what are we going to do with this pile of metal? And so they just got rid of it. 
Right, and it sounds like it was all basically commingled with a bunch of whatever else was in there. It wasn't like, oh, this is the weather ball scrap. It's like this is the building scrap, and so somebody came around to remove it. But it wasn't so like, oh, we're gonna we're the company that's gonna put it back together somewhere else or something. Like right, that. right. And as our reader, who was the retired iron worker Warren Gunther, said, you know, he said that they delivered it in good shape and that the pieces were all numbered and. You know, I jokingly said to him, geez, Warren, you know, they should have just had you put it back together right then and Mm -hmm. it would probably be there today. But they didn't go that route. And you had another reader reach out and say that there may be some remnant of the ball itself that maybe was somewhere else that ended up somewhere else. Well, according to a reader and, you know, can I prove this? I can't. But a reader wrote in and said, I understand that uh, Harry Lerner of Lerner Publishing had a piece of the weather ball at some time in the 1990s. That's what somebody said. Okay, we'll put in an inquiry from them, and then we'll do it in a little addendum to this interview with what we find out. We reached out to Harry Lerner of Lerner Publishing Group about the rumor that he had secured a piece of the weather ball. Lerner said in an email that he had, in fact, hoped to see the weather ball installed atop the McKesson building in the North Loop, which the company owns. After the weather ball was dismantled, Lerner made several inquiries about it and reached the director of the state fair, who directed him to a warehouse employee. Harry said that person, quote, thought it was a stupid idea to resurrect what he called junk in a thousand small pieces, unquote. So that's as far as it went. This bank, I just think it's interesting because for a generation, it became Norwest Bank in 1983. So people knew it as that for a long time. And then it merged with Wells Fargo. And what I learned sort of in talking to one of our former banking reporters is like Norwest was basically bigger than Wells Fargo. I mean, it was like it merged and it took the Wells Fargo brand. But like Wells Fargo is sort of built on sort of this enormous bank that was here, which is kind of interesting to think about now. Like we don't think about Wells Fargo as sort of our bank, you know, but it's partly why we have a Wells Fargo center, this huge tower in downtown Minneapolis, which I think was originally called Norwest Tower. Yeah. And so when you look at it through the lens that we're looking at, Wells Fargo was really built on the weather ball. <laughs> exactly. You know, it, it's just, it's not a name that lives on today, but for us, you know, for most of the 20th century, Northwestern or Norwest, that, and then uh, I think as First National, which became U.S. Bank, I mean, those were sort of the two big names in town. Yep, that's yeah. right. Well, John, thank you so much for this piece of history and nostalgia. I mean, it is a very nostalgic thing, I think. I mean, especially because it's like a visible thing that people remember and they remember it. People alive today remember this from their childhood. And the fact that you could see it from Brooklyn Park, I mean, it's hard to envision that today. It would have to, For that to be the case today, I mean, it would have to be on top of IDS or, you know, on top of Capella Tower or something like that. Yeah, that's right. I, well, you know, it's just a different era back then. Yeah. Some sad news. Maybe it's happy news because you're retiring. You're retiring after 13 years. Uh, There was a break in there, but 13 years altogether with the Star Tribune? 13 years with the Star Tribune and, you know, almost 30 years as a newspaper reporter overall. Wow. We're going to miss your storytelling around here. Thank you. I'll miss it, too. I'm uh, still very enthusiastic, but I'm just to that age where you start to see people you know having uh, major health issues, and you realize that you kind of really need to take make use of what you have left. Well, great. Well, John, thank you so much. You're welcome. I enjoyed it. All right. That's it for today's episode. If you have feedback about this podcast or a question you'd like to see us tackle, please send a note to curious at startribune.com. And as always, if you're enjoying this show, please tell a friend about it. Thanks. 
Thanks for listening to Curious Minnesota. We want to hear from you. Ask questions and read more stories online at startribune.com backslash curious. Our show is recorded at the Star Tribune's headquarters in beautiful downtown Minneapolis. And our music is produced by Matt Gilmer. If you like the show, please rate us on iTunes or leave a review. And until next time, stay curious. <laughs>